This is Kevin Evans with the Chapter by Chapter Life class at Crossroads Assembly of God in Greenville. And uh, it is a rainy morning in the spring, and we are studying the vine and the branches in Chapter 15 of John. And uh, I don't have notes for everybody today because I ordered a toner online. And I'm pretty sure that my toner is in a freighter somewhere in the middle of the Pacific at this point. And um, I don't guarantee notes next week either at this rate. So, uh, however, I got a very good rate. So, you know, hey. isn't it sad that I could buy something from China cheaper than I can buy from Staples down the road? You get what you pay for, though. I don't know. I don't know. I'm, 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 I've been pretty happy with my Chinese product. So you got to wait what? Well, there is the five-week wait. That's true. You should have ordered two, so you say one ahead. I did order two, actually. I was thinking ahead there, at least. Okay. So, hi, Clayton and Faith. Hey. Come in. Hi, have a donut, since everybody else is snubbing my donuts today. They don't like sparkling. I thought I thought that that's a happy box of donuts right there. That's what I'm thinking. I have to hold myself back from getting the ones that are painted like little uh, 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 Japanese cartoon characters. But anyway, that's what we're Yeah, yeah. No, the Hello Kitty. There's a bunch of Hello Kitty donuts there. I, I, yes, I agree. I had the best thing yesterday was Snickerdoodles with icing in the middle of it. Clayton didn't get one of those. I see. He didn't get one. He's cheating on Okay. So, scripture. Yeah, that's what I hear for. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, um, we were we're following Christ, and um, he has just finished uh, the uh, the meeting in the upper room in the Last Supper. And uh, at the end of chapter 14, it literally says, come now, let us leave. And so that is the end of the meeting in the Last Supper. Now, we know from the Synoptic Gospels that events uh, chronologically happen rather quickly after this point. Christ leaves here. He goes to pray in the, uh, 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 the Mount of Olives. Mount of Olives. And, uh, and, and Judas shows up with soldiers, and he gets arrested, and uh, we rapidly go into a series of uh, made-up trials, and uh, he's crucified. Um, John said, has Christ leave the upper room, and then he has this long, complicated metaphor with a lot of subtext, and at least four subpoints, and... And Christ does this teaching to the disciples specifically somewhere in there. And, and I know I'm overworking this like I always do. Uh, ancient literature is not necessarily chronological. Wouldn't you think he went, think he went outside the garden before he went in the garden? Or? Well, there, there are a couple of possibilities. And I think possibility number one is that this is so involved that John's heard this more than once. And I would suggest that John has, taught, has preached this more than once. And this is one of John's sermons that he's popped in here as far as uh, what Christian discipleship looks like. 
And I think Christ taught this. I don't doubt that. I'm not questioning the structure, the, the, the veracity of, of, of Scripture. But I don't know if he taught this right now. And I think that's a valid interpretation. There are also commentators that say, of course he gave this in this order. That's what the Bible is presenting it as. So that's what it is. The Bible is true. And so as Christ is walking to the Mount of Olives to pray, he teaches this complicated sermon to his uh, disciples and the Holy Spirit helped John remember it for seven years so that he had every last detail. That is also a fair interpretation. I don't have a problem with one, and I think in the end it doesn't matter. But, in, in level, it, thankfully, every time I have a big hang-up in Scripture, that's the ultimate you know, conclusion. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't affect anything. Uh, I'm just blocking a movie in my head, and it, it confuses me as to which direction we're walking and how we're exiting the stage. You know. Okay, so having said all that, uh, the second commentators, the one that said this happened chronologically, uh, try to justify it. And um, at Herod's temple, uh, which was torn down 70 years after this happened, uh, was known for massive white cladding. It had this white marble, I guess, stone cladding. So it was this huge white temple. And uh, all of the <coughs> 40 years, I'm sorry, did I misspeak? This temple was destroyed in 70 AD. I'm sorry, I misspoke. Thank you, Kenny. Um, <laughs> gospel according to Evans. Okay. Uh, so, yeah. And so, well, it, it was torn down. So we don't have the actual, we don't know exactly what Herod's temple looked like, is what I'm saying. However, there is recorded uh, descriptions of it, several of them. And one of them describes... Uh, I guess statuary, some kind of uh, facade on the front of the temple that depicted a golden vine. And a grapevine is a symbol of the nation of Israel, uh, just as an eagle is the nation, a symbol of America, and bears are the symbol of Russia, and strangely enough, goats are the symbol of Greece. Anyway, uh, they are. Goats and Greece go together. Uh, they're very proud of their goats. And that was used in the temple as well. Like yes. And so. The candlesticks and things like that. Yes. And so there's this golden vine on the outside of it. So commentators say Christ is walking near the temple because the temple is beside the, 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 the Mount of Olives. And he's referring to uh, this big, you know, uh, architectural structure that they're standing in front of as he begins this sermon. And I think that's, that's also fair. So he gives this, this metaphor of the vine and what discipleship is, and that's the, the context of what we're about to dig into. Uh, but it's, it's actually pretty, pretty complex. So I'm going to go ahead and read 1 through 17, and we'll see how far we can get to that. And then uh, 18 through 26 is just an extension of the same argument. So, uh, verse 1, chapter 15. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the, world of I, the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, 
and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. This is my father's story, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his father's business. Instead, I call you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. Amen. It's, it's rather powerful and compact. Um, it all boils down to one word, love. Yes. <clears throat> but let's talk about bushes for a little while first. Um, no, just bushes. Um, I've uh, spent the last two days, two, two weeks actually, harvesting wood. And uh, all I could... I, I, we're cutting out dead wood and cutting back plants, and you know, which is what everybody is doing right now in the spring as things are starting to bud out. Uh, my mother is kicking herself because she can't work fast enough in her yard. Uh, she calls and complains because she can't get in enough work. That's that's who raised me right there. Yeah. Anyway. Have you met my mother? No. Anyway, I'm the third Oh my goodness. Okay, when you're the point of grapevines is produce. You want as many big fat grapes off that vine as you possibly can, because then you sell it. You either sell the grapes or you turn it into wine and you sell the wine. That's your livelihood. Uh, the more grapes you get off that plant, the more cash you have in your pocket in the end. That's the whole idea of husbandry and taking care of plants and all of that is production. So when a vintner, and that's not the right word, I looked up the word and it was even more complicated than that. The guy that owns a vineyard uh, is going to prepare his field for the highest production possible. And the first thing you have to do is cut out all, all the dead wood. Absolutely critical, all the dead wood. Because any, any vine that is dead and is not going to come back, you know, that still doesn't have some life in it, is an invitation to 
parasites, it's an invitation to rot, it's an invitation to fungus, and um, all of that lovely spalting that I try to engender in my rotting wood, it's another story. Uh, you know, it, they, they wanna get rid of all of that because all of that has a detrimental effect on production of grapes. Uh, and so the first thing they do is they ruthlessly hack their way through the vineyard, burning everything that is dead and only leaving what's living. Then, are you ready for this? Then they start over and they start hacking back everything that's living. Because... Yeah, because what happens is that the, 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 the vine, and almost all plants are like this, is going to want to create the, the infrastructure for the plant. It wants to build the plant up. It wants as many leaves out as it can to produce more fuel for the plant. It wants more branches out there, and it will bush up. It will create as many uh, bushes as it can. And as it builds itself and its own stalk and its own branches and its own leaves, it saps any energy that it has for fruit production. And when it finally gets around the fruit production, you have a really low yield because it put all of its growth potential into itself and not into its production. So the vintner, still the wrong word, is going to go back and cut back the vast majority of that growth so that you have the, the basic stalk there. And when it produces, it, it, it takes all of its energy, and it's gotta be done at the right part of the, the this growth cycle. But uh, it, it doesn't have all of these extra branches in the way of its production. And so then it will produce grapes and it will produce a lot of grapes because it's not distracted by itself. We saw a video of this at Yellowstone last week. Did you? That's how they do the growth, that is how the, the, the plant is burned and the, and the stuff, to let, allowing the animals to do what they want because it helps with the growth. It's the exact same concept. Controlled burns. Have you noticed that God, when, when God's talking to you, you get the same message from different directions all the time. I, I, that's all we went on vacation. Yeah. Yeah. Don't watch Pastor Jim. <laughs> <laughs> that's a church. Well, <laughs> won't ask too many questions. <laughs> so, so are you saying, if we were to take this over into our lives, are you saying that See, it's very easy for us you're getting to ahead focus of me already. on ourselves instead of the fruit we're supposed to? It is stupidly easy. Yes. And and I think I think kind of humanistically natural yeah. to do that. And uh you know, I, I could belabor this point some more, but since we're there, yeah. um, I, I think that's a nice picture of what churches look like. Mm -hmm. And not only churches, but I think just Christians yeah. and the individual. I mean, if you see yourself as the plant, uh, what do we really want to do? Do we want to go win other people to Christ? Mm. You know, really? No, I want a good cup of coffee and a cookie and, and I want a comfortable chair and I want an entertaining book. Fiction, preferably. You know, that's that's where I really... Or you can centralize you know. it and say you're going to read a Christian book. And sure, yeah. Yeah, and go do what you yeah I, 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 may put it, I may put it in nice clothes. But, you know, I'm... Uh, 
you know, I, I have a very uh, human old man in me and that really doesn't want to do all the labor. You know, unlike my mother who complains about not having more time to work. Anyway, uh, yeah, I, I, that's the way we are. And I think churches are the same way. Uh, and here I am, the guy on the board, you know, preaching this. But, uh, you know, we put a whole lot of money into our building. And effort and energy. And effort and energy, you know. Now, the thing is, I think you do need to fertilize your, your, your vine. I, I don't think you need to ignore the vine. Uh, but I think we, we, over, we allow ourselves to overgrow. I don't think we, get, we prune things back. Um, you know. can get so big it can stagnate. Yes, it can, just like a vine does. I mean, th that's the picture that Christ has given us here. And, uh, you know, I, I could, okay, I'm going to belabor the point. I said I was going. Uh, we've been cutting up trees. Do you know the difference between, uh, well, okay, how do I start this story? Um, He's showing off his gardening work. Yes, yes. <laughs> I, I own that. Um, I wrote down the name of it. Where is it? I take notes and then I can't find them. Oh, here it is. Okay, when I was growing up, I grew up behind the Pine Curtain in East Texas, and um, there was a, a huge pear tree in my backyard. And uh, it made these huge, massive, hard, ugly pears. Uh, they were kind of grayish green. They're not pretty. And uh, it's kind of the model color to it, and they're massive. And uh, they have knots that grow on the side of them that are just natural parts of the shape of it. It's this big, knotty, hard pear. And I would go to the grocery store, and they would have Bartlett pears sale that are shaped like a pear and look like you know a pear like you get it like you see pictures of at school you know that's a pear but then I you know our pears was were like, were like this and uh, I always wondered what the difference was and I never really knew uh, I since have discovered that what was in my backyard is a very native plant called a keeper pear and they're they're good for cooking uh, they have really thick outsides I'm sure some of you are familiar they're very crisp fairly fairly juicy you can cook them and they will keep their shape unlike most other pears. Uh, they're hard to eat because biting into them will work your teeth over, although my father ate about three a day, so you know I don't know what that's about. Uh, my best friend that lived across the back pasture from us also had a pear tree in his backyard. He could not stand pears any more than I could because you know they were always there. Uh, they canned them, we did not. And even with them canning them, half the pears ended up rotting on the ground and attracting bees so that it was dangerous to go under the pear tree because you're gonna get stung because insects were all over it. Everybody I knew had this ugly pear tree in their backyard. It was part of East Texas life. I assumed the whole world had pears in their yard. It was a highly productive tree. And it would, uh, the, the, the keeper pears will produce constantly. And uh, farmers would plant them because you could ignore them. They thrive on abuse and they produce and produce and produce and produce. I don't see those trees around much anymore. What you see now are Bradford pears. Are you familiar with Bradfords? Yeah. Really? They taste better? You're thinking of a Bartlett pear. I know. Yeah. A Bradford pear is a non-bearing pear tree. Okay. 
there is no pear. What people plant now are, are going into yards in cities and it's a landscape tree and it's known for having one solid trunk and everything stalking off the top of the trunk which gives it a nice silhouette which makes all the architects really happy and it's got nice foliage and when it blooms it's gorgeous and you have all these huge white white flowers I don't remember the keeper ever having a flower I'm sure it did but I didn't notice and uh, and so you know, it, it, it's a beautiful tree that doesn't produce anything because who wants rotting pears in their backyard? It is an aristocrat tree. It's a snooty tree. I think that's fair. Uh, it, 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 the whole point of a Bradford is its silhouette, it's the foliage, it's uh, how stately it looks in your yard. The point of a kefir is production and making jam, you know? So when you look at a church. Everybody wants the aristocrat. Yeah. But God wants us to be the aristocrat. Yeah. You figured the metaphor out. That's yeah, awesome. God wants jam, and we're, we're giving him stateliness, you know? Uh, we're giving him pretty blooms. We're gorgeous down here, God. Non-bearing pear. How can it be a pear tree if there's no pears in the tree? Anyway, uh, however, when you harvest Bradfords, they have really nice brown wood. It's very consistent, and it, it is aristocratic. I would prefer to work with Bradford wood pear than any other pear, to be honest. And, and keepers are all binding, and you don't want those. Anyway. Uh, yeah. So, it can also be individual. And, and, and this is the hard lesson, and I'm not sure how you're going to feel about it, but, you know, we look at our lives and the trials that we have faced and, uh, and look at the drastic unfairness of those trials. And you've got to ask yourself, is there, and people will come to me and say, oh, there's a purpose to this. God has a plan. That's if you're a little child. Don't say stupid things, say stupid things like that. Scary. No, no. I don't try to preach a person from the heaven and upset him any. No, no. <clears throat> i got a story or two to tell you later. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> anyway, uh, so I got off my train of thought. It's, it's, where was I? I just went blank. I lost it. Individual. I lost it. Individual. Right, 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 right. So the question you need to ask yourself is, uh, are you being pruned? That's because I have a standard that I judge absolutely everyone by. And I think that's the way we all are because you know you the best. And you, 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 you justify you and you understand you and you get you. So obviously you're going to compare everybody else to you. And if you do, then we constantly have to go back to the cross where we came from. And we don't yeah. really, and love. And we yeah. don't really want to 
What do you mean a mess? I'm perfect. I'm a little worn in places. I'm a little worn in places. I agree. But don't we get don't we put more concern in what we don't like about other people? Yeah, I put a lot more concern in what I don't like about other people. everything in this world has changed and, and you can offend everybody by everything. But, but I'm going to disagree. We're just as offended as they are. Because if you, you call a woman a woman, she may not want to be classified as a woman. A man may not be want to classify but, but, as a woman. But Bill, I don't care. I know. I don't care. But it, I, it offends. We, but we care too much. I could care less that the 17 year old at the Gap doesn't wish me Merry Christmas. I could care <laughs> less. That's where we're getting away with the pruning thing. It, 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 it's it's, we're not loving. I, I want to love everybody. I don't do so well. He said it so angrily, too. Sometimes people don't have a choice, so what do you do in that situation? What do you mean? Sometimes you don't have a choice but to do violence for vi return violence for violence. Like self-defense? You yeah. show the other cheek like Jesus said. But sometimes we offer to do violence before they, they've even done anything to us. We threaten them with violence.
if that stick existed, very strong. Like, very hard to hit strong stick. Mm-hmm. Quiet, Kevin. I'll answer that next week. Okay, Um, Christ, in this extended metaphor, makes at least five points drawing similarities between the two, and I wanted to work through those. Uh, First of all, it's the right stock, the right expert, the right culture, the right contact, and the right fruitage, and so he's basically showing who he is and why he is the only one. So he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. Uh, there are a lot of different varieties of grape. Uh, m- most plants have a lot of subspecies variety to them. And if you are a, I had the word, vignoran, that's the word for a guy that owns a vineyard. In, vignoran, V-I-G-E-R-O-N. I wrote it down so I'd have it. Vignoran? Vignoran. Okay. And so if you're, if you're that guy, uh, you have to choose your grape stock very carefully because some grape stock does better in lower water. Some grape stock does better in higher water. Some has larger fruit but weaker vinage. Some has, you know, and it just depends on where you're planting and what kind of soil you have and numerous variables. And so you want to pick a variety that's going to have the most success within your particular location. And so a vignoran is going to be very careful about choosing the correct stock. And, and that's a big decision. And there's a lot of discussion of the kind of grapes. And winemakers have all kinds of discussion of the kind of grapes that go into particular kinds of wine and so on and so forth. Christ is saying, I am the true vine. I am the stock that you need, and everything else comes from me. There is no other vine but this one. So, so that's the beginning of the Vignoran talk. He's, He's the same as I am the way. I am the way and the truth and the life. Yes, I am the true vine. And then he says, my father is the husbandman. The husbandman is the guy that works in the vineyard and does all the pruning. He's the guy with the clippers and the saw that's cutting out all the dead wood and is cutting out most of the live wood. Uh, at, the, at the beginning of spring in a vineyard, vineyards look barren and stripped because there's hardly anything there except these little saddle stumps all in a row underneath, a, underneath one wire that has no vines on it, you know. They're, they're ripped back because, because they, they, they don't want those plants putting all their energy into vineage, you know. And so uh, the father is the one who is uh, cutting us back. He's the one that's leading us. He's the one that's grooming us for what he would have us be. And so every branch in me that beareth not fruit he taketh away, and every branch of me that beareth fruit, he cleanseth it, that it may bear more fruit. Meaning that he cuts back buds, usually. And uh, that way you have more production. You know, you, you fix, the, you, can, you work that branch so that that branch is more productive. Um, 
So God is cutting back the dead wood. He's cutting the parts of us that aren't suiting his needs out of us. And he's trimming back the false starts that we make if we try to follow him. It sounds a lot like our tree, doesn't it? Like I said, I've been literally in that case. (laughs) This is actually one of the many I am's of Christ. You know, have you read all the I am's of Christ? Uh, Explain. Well, the I am's of Christ are, he's the Messiah, he's the bread of life, from above, the eternal one, the door, the good shepherd, the son of God, the resurrection, the Lord and master, the way, the truth, and the life. The true vine, the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. Yes, except that in this particular illustration, he is illustrating a relationship between God and us, and the illustration is what that relationship should look like. He is telling his disciples, "This is who, this is how we relate to each other," and this is how. And then in a minute, he's going to say, "This is how we relate to each other." And then after that, it's this is how you relate to the world. Oh, and by the way, they hate you. You know, how well, how that's, well. you know so, so it's, it's, it's a discussion of relationships and how those relationships work. That's the overview. But yes, you're right. It, that's part of it. How, how, how well do you think those disciples really got along with each other? Well, not very well before this started. At the beginning of this evening, they weren't getting along very well. And I think that's part of it. I think that's part of what the emphasis of all of this. How do you think they got along after Christ went away? I think they got along better. They, they still had problems. They had a shared experience, so that was their own problem. I, I would think the Holy Spirit helped them have issues. I mean, that's for sure. But, I mean, it's still, we're subject to it, human Did they all kind of scatter and went to their own areas of ministry? Not the beginning. God had to force them. God had to force them to go out to ministry. They, they still had their their general council, district council meetings where they had to go together. <laughs> <laughs> no, which is true. That's what's true. That they, they, came, they came back and discussed And the they all knew each other well enough that they had no respect for each other. So there's that. They knew all their. Yeah, exactly. I, you snore and, then it, uh-huh. and then in Acts, because they all didn't do what Christ said and go out and preach to all the world, they all gathered together in Jerusalem. He finally had to send persecution in there so to scatter them. That was a fruiting experience. It was a fruiting experience. He had to scatter them so they would go before they were forced to go. It's all about the pruning. I would like to think that, to answer your question, Bill, I, th- I think would like to think that they did get were more, more mature in their relationship. They understood Christ's sacrifice better at that point. I think they were actively trying to apply Christ's teachings, but yeah, I think they were human. We don't really know details of what all of these apostles did you know, after Acts. We know a lot more about Paul just because he was doing all the writing. And you know, Paul was kind of cantankerous and kind of, yeah, he fussed at people and uh, you know stood at his principles and tossed his disciples out and you know things like that. You know, uh, tossing Timothy out, he didn't get along with Peter and he and Peter had a big doctrinal yeah. discussion and Peter had to have a dream and you know they didn't get along. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think they were mature, seeking believers, all doing the best they could with what they had, but they, that doesn't guarantee that everybody's going to agree. That was, you know, Peter and Paul, they had two different beliefs. That was a fight over circumcision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's several books away. Um, 
So, Christ is going, it, it, the Father is the husbandman, and he's going to create that culture within us. He's going to cut us back, and he's going to prepare us for what we need to do. And then it gets even more complicated. He says, abide in me, and I in you. And abide is not living in a house. The, the definition that we most commonly use in English is not what they're going for. Uh, the word meant to stay connected. It meant uh, to have a relationship with, to uh, be still on the vine, to abide on the vine, not being cut off. And so uh, in this section where he's talking about abiding, he uses the word 10 times. Uh, so I think it's kind of important. And um, basically, we need to stay with Christ. Now, you're suggesting that, never mind, we're going to talk about that next week. <laughs> okay. Before we talk about it next week, I just want to bring up Romans 11. Okay, read Romans for 11. Next, for next week. Um, okay. Uh, 20. Granted, uh, they were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand in faith. This is talking about uh, grafted branches. Yes. So, um, do not be arrogant, but be afraid. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he would not spare you either. Consider, therefore, the kindness and, and sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in kindness. Otherwise, you will also be cut off. And if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. So, he starts talking about that. And it, to me, that's Yes, I agree. I think it's an extension of the same metaphor. Mm -hmm. um, tell me again what that reference was. Um, Romans 11. Romans 11? Okay, thank you. <coughs> All right. So, uh, in last, uh, so we, he's abiding in, in each other. And then the last is we need to show fruit. Uh, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. So uh, you're going to have the power of God because you're connected with God. That's probably a poor statement. Well, uh, this is my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And then later there are reference. Paul says you, you, you'll be you'll be known by your fruit. Yeah. So if you're not producing fruit, then are you connected with the vine? Huh. What are we supposed to do? Or are you that dead wood that needs to be? Or are you that dead wood that's attracting insects? <laughs> Rotting out the vine from the root. <laughs> Killing off the good wood. Yeah, yeah. Yes, that is our tree. Yes. Uh, okay. Jackson made his final calling to them in the 16th verse when he said you've not chosen me but I've chosen you ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain that whoever you shall ask of the Father in my name you may give it. That's basically I think one of his first, one of his first true callings telling them to go. <clears throat> yes. So he is saying that they need to abide in him and he will give them power and then he gives them the 11th commandment. 
which I thought was a clever way of describing this. And I think it's fair. You know, if God gave us the first Ten Commandments and then here God is giving us another one, I think we need to give a number to it. Uh, love each other as I love you. Now, this is to the group that was just jockeying for position and asking Christ who was going to sit to the left and who was going to sit to the right. And, you know, they were punching each other in the corner. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. I, was, I taught sophomores, you know. Uh, I kind of see this group in my head from my own personal experience. The only, uh, one that was, the only one that wasn't trying to say he wanted to sit here was the one leaning on his breast with John. Yeah, and you know, he was the young one that got away with everything. Don't yeah. you hate that? Yeah. Uh, that, would, that would so annoy me if I were Peter, because he yeah. was the oldest, I'm thinking. Yeah. All right, anyway, I don't think they got along necessarily. You know, and uh, there was the, the what about him thing with John, too. You know, it, 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 like, like what, are you going to pick on him and just, just pick on me and not going to pick on him? I've heard that so many times as a teacher. You know, when two kids get in trouble and I pull one kid aside, well, you, why are you talking to me? But that's the illustration I'm trying to say earlier is that so much times we get so concerned with God's pruning of other people, we don't realize that God's trying to prune us. Yes. God's saying, Look, quit worrying about everybody else. Let me worry about you and I'll take care of them one-on-one. We think we're the pruners. So, we are an extension of God. We are in, we're attached to his branch. And God himself is the husbandman pruning us back and making us strong and productive. And the next step, that's a relationship with God. The next step is each other. And that relationship is love each other. Just chill and love each other. Remain. Stop worrying about all those details. Yes, Kenny's annoying. Love him anyway. We're too busy loving ourselves. Well, that's true. I don't, <laughs> I don't really lose any time loving myself. That's true. Uh, you know, uh, I, think, I, I think that's hard. I, you know, I've always heard that if you have a problem with somebody, that you should pray for them, and that kind of takes the edge off of your, you know, your, your hurt feelings. And there have been two or three times when, oh man, praying for somebody was is hard. I had to grit my teeth as I prayed for them, you know. And honestly, after I was through praying, I didn't like them, but I didn't hate them. It kind of takes the bottom edge off of well, depends which the are darkness. Trying, God changed them to agree with me, or God strike them dead, or God, I don't really. Well, it's true. I tell my people, I said, clients, I said, well, why don't you pray for the person for God's blessing on them? What? Pick the most evil person you can't stand in this world and pray for God's blessing on them. You do that after a while, you're going to change your attitude towards them. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I, I used to tell people, the political figure you can't stand the most, pray for God's blessing on them. Yeah. And the person's answer told me a lot about their attitude. Because oh, I'm not going to pray blessings on that person. Yeah. There you go. The attitude's wrong. I'm all, can I read this real quick? Okay. When you die, God, God isn't going to ask you about someone else. He won't yeah. ask you about the two men down the street who got married. He won't ask you about the girl who had an abortion. He won't ask you about the atheist that lives on the corner. He won't ask you about the woman who feels more comfortable as a man. He will ask you how you love those people as he called you to do. And some of you did.
the first element of love is sacrifice. You know, he says, love me as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. I found one commentator that says, Christ taught to lay down your life for your friends, and then Christ laid down his life for his enemies. Mm. Which is an interesting perspective. or famine or nakedness or peril or sword. Just like he gave his, he says, to his disciples, do the same. Does, does that go back to the reference when you, you, know, you were saying, you know, the, you know, you don't get credit for loving the one you Jesus a lot. Mm-hmm. Even Jesus did that. Yeah. Jesus loved children. You get credit for loving those that it's hard to love. Right. Laying down, laying down my life for my wife, whether she'll argue with this or not, is easy. That's an easy choice. For my children, for my grandchildren. You know, two of us are drowning, save my grandchild. Sure. That's it. I don't get credit for that. Laying my life down for an enemy like Christ did, mm-hmm. the ultimate in spiritual maturity, the ultimate in spiritual power is, once again, everybody think about the political figure you can't stand most of the world. How many of us would give our life for that? <laughs> well, that's a hard thing. It says lay down your life for your friend. Right. <laughs> Thank you, Jim. I appreciate that, Jim. But I had no out. You I mean, saved me. But are we called to be like Christ? And what did Christ do? He laid down for an enemy. Yep. You know? Yeah, fair. I, no, fair. I'm not saying, oh, gosh, I got this. It would be hard for me to do that as well. But, I mean, the gospel, the gospel hits it to the heart of the issue. To where, how many of us would lay down our life for an enemy? Um. Not me. That's an honest answer. Well, what I'm saying is it's a moment that's really, really hard. I'm not saying it's With unforgiveness in the heart. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, um, we're not Christ, and it, it's hard for us. Mm-hmm. And I found in my just personal experience that I'll have to pray that Jesus through me will love that person and I found that over the years uh, God was able to release me from it and it's more like how many times are we actually going to lay down our life for an enemy physical but it's only once it's the (laughs) 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 it's not so much the way it's the attitude behind it to work, it's like I said, true. True. <laughs> let's take away laying down life. When I say that little scenario, pray for, pray blessings on the person you can't stand most in the world. I get a lot. That's not laying down your life. That's just praying blessings on it. And I get a lot of pushback on that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is about attitude, and Christ's all about attitude. Because I'm not calling you to actually give your physical life, but it's I refuse to. It's and the attitude Christ is concerned about. I think part of the answer to that dilemma is the next point, which is the second element in what he's saying is intimacy. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants. Because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me. Most most rabbis uh, will will work in a in a temple and or, or a synagogue and uh, 
students will come to the rabbi and will claim the rabbi. And they will say, I like his teaching. I'm going to follow this rabbi. And then the rabbi doesn't really choose the disciples. They show up. You know, Christ chose his disciples. It went the other direction, you know. And so Christ says, I did, you know, you, you did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, love each other. So that intimacy, if we are friends with Christ, if we are connected to the vine, if we are willfully, what's the difference between a servant and a friend? Yes. A servant is forced to do what they have to do. A friend is not forced. A friend is willing to often serve the same role. So if we're, we are released from an obligation to serve Christ, he is asking us to come of our own free will. And that makes us friends. That makes us independent operators uh, in service to God. And so, in order to do that, we have to maintain that connection to the vine, and all of this together makes us productive. So, in other words, if we're truly abiding in Christ, those hard things we've been talking about, about towards people who don't like us or our enemies, it's going to be easier to get to the point of loving them and, 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 and having a, a, a ministry towards them if we're abiding in the vine. If we're not abiding in the vine, we're going to be stubborn about it. Yes. I'm validating. I'll accept that. Yeah. I'm validating. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and I'm completely out of time, but we've got three steps to this chapter. God's relationship to us, our relationship to each other, and then our relationship to the unbelieving world, which picks up in verse 18. And we will, we will look at that next time since I am out. And so with that, I am signing off, Internet. Goodbye. Can I give you another one?